Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. You've tuned in to the most scintillating culinary conversation because you have very good taste. I welcome you to my kitchen as the delicious conversation starts right here and right now. Whether you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we should definitely be friends, but you can take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned. In fact, you're going to become a far more informed food lover by the end of this show. I hope you'll visit my website where I'm always serving up seconds as well at chefjamie.com for chef's tips and recipes, videos, cocktail inspiration, and more. My goal is to make every day delicious. And of course, we're heating it up in your radio with grand guests to make your dishes come alive with flavor. And on this show, every food topic is on the table because a meal is a terrible thing to waste. Please become a friend and a fan on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And let me tell you what is on your plate this morning. Do you know the term shrinkflation? Well, I didn't either. But did you know that the contents in your favorite groceries, like that box of cereal or raisins or more, is shrinking, but the prices as you know, are rising. And so leading food industry analyst, the leading, in fact, an award-winning journalist, uh, the trend watcher and trend setter, and a gentleman I'm proud to call my friend for probably 25 years now, Phil Lempert, you know him. He is gracing this show once again and sitting down to dish. So we're going to share some marketing tricks of the trade when it comes to grocery shopping Also, I found a new favorite and it is in the gluten-free food world and I am not gluten-free, but wait till you hear about Good Flour Company. Really a beautiful grassroots story making really fantastic products. And so if you are gluten-free or looking to eat healthier or leaner or feel better, these are indulgence products, in fact, but they're so delicious. So stay tuned because there's a whole lot to learn this hour. First though, let's kick it off with my weekly tutorial, shall we? My goal is to make you the best cook you know. So if you have a topic you'd like touched on, if you have something you'd like me to take a deep dive into in the food world, you can always email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. This next conversation came from Bill, fascinated by poke. Yes, it's actually pronounced poke. It's time to make poke at home, in my opinion, because the pokey craze continues. So thank you, Bill, for your email. Let's dive in. Let's explore the roots of poke and make some at home, shall we? Behold the poke bowl in all of its mysterious glory. You don't really have to be a fish lover to love a poke bowl, but it is definitely focused on fish. It is also a culinary conundrum that few on the continental U.S. can pronounce. It is the next big thing in fast food. And it is the Hawaiian raw food specialty that is crashing into the national dining scene 
continually with pokerias, as they call them, popping up from coast to coast. Now, what is poke? As you know, it's fantastically fresh raw cubes of seafood marinated usually in some sort of soy sauce and aromatics. And move over salad because poke has made a name for itself, no doubt. Now, I happen to love it, but you most often would go out for poke, right? And this treasure itself has been long a staple in the Hawaiian islands. In fact, for centuries, um, now it's sweeping the nation. It's like the must have food trend, right? But I'll tell you, it is a beautiful thing to make at home, especially if you're sourcing fish from your local fishmonger. I think it gives you an opportunity to shop local and fresh and day of, and you will be a culinary hero when you make poke at home. Poke is sashimi, Hawaiian style. It's the Hawaiian word for cut crosswise into pieces. It's Hawaii's most beloved dish. And it was originally developed as a way to preserve the local seafood, right? It was the fish that was cut and salted and seasoned to extend its shelf life. And in its most basic and traditional form, poke combines raw ahi tuna with seaweed, ground kukui nuts, and sea salt. And then usually sliced green onions and some sort of chili pepper, a little bit of soy sauce. Those are all recent additions that reflect the melting pot that is the 50th state. And that is, of course, Hawaii. Now, it was primarily served in the home originally in Hawaii, but now it can be found everywhere in Hawaii's supermarkets and in fine dining restaurants. And it actually reached celebrity status, poke that is, when a celebrity chef who was a local luminary, Sam Choi, he calls the dish Hawaii's soul food, um, started the annual poke festival and recipe contest. The contest actually inspired thousands of amateur and professional chefs, and it expanded the definition of poke to include any dish that contained diced and seasoned seafood. And thank you, Sam Choi, because you made it famous. Now, fresh fish is the most important ingredient in a poke bowl. Sam taught me that himself. I had the privilege of cooking with him many years ago. The man is quite spectacular. And of course, the fresher, the better. So, Ahi tuna or yellowfin tuna, the most common choice used in the islands. But when you're choosing a fish, choose to your palate, please. But consider these three things. Smell is first. Fresh fish should have a very light fish smell, almost no smell at all. Color. Fresh tuna should be bright crimson red. And texture, especially for poke, you want a fish that is definitely firmer. Now, the fattier the fish, the better it will taste. So I do strongly advise against anything that is farm-raised or frozen in this method preparation, as the texture of the poke will be compromised. Now, the cut is important too. It is best to cut with the grain, not against it, when you cut into cubes to avoid perforated edges, if you get what I mean. And after it's cut into cubes, you salt the fish to taste using preferably Hawaiian or some sort of sea salt. And the size of the cube really depends on your personal taste. A lot of locals, uh, Hawaiians, they love the taste of fish. So having a big piece to chew is no problem. 
I happen to opt for smaller cubes because I think they're better coated by the dressing in the bowl. And then there is, of course, the sauce and the garnishes, right? The traditionalists use super fresh soy sauce and few other ingredients. I say you can almost do anything with poke, right? You could walk down the aisles of your favorite grocery store and if you think it tastes good, throw it in. Honestly, whatever tastes good to you. The basics, you could do sliced sweet yellow onion or chopped green onion. You can add avocado for avocado lovers. Um, I like a, a light drizzle of soy sauce, whatever preference of soy sauce you use. Uh, I happen to love cherry tomatoes and toasted sesame seeds in my poke. And then um, for all you spice lovers, a little bit of Asian chili oil or spicy sesame oil or chili garlic crisp takes it to a whole new level. And then I like to brighten up a little bit of um, the, the flavor, the texture, and otherwise. Sometimes I add shredded carrot. Um, sometimes I'll top it with fried wontons for crispy texture. But there is one thing my poke always has. And if you've been a longtime loyal listener, I thank you. And you've heard it before. I love furikake. Furikake is the salt and pepper of Japan, right? It's a sweet savory Japanese spice that's meant to be sprinkled over white rice. And it has just every good umami bite. And there are very many varieties, I should say, but I like the simplest, which is um, seaweed, sesame seeds, sugar, and salt. I think it's magic, by the way. It encompasses sweet, savory, salty umami. It's especially good on popcorn, P.S., but it is brilliant over poke. So if you are planning a poke party, I'd love to come. Thank you. Please invite me. I would love for you to email me and tell me how your poke turned out. Or maybe share your favorite ingredient addition. That would be fun. Once again, you can find me at Jamie at Chef Jamie, J-A-M-I-E dot com. All right. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Yes. Shrinkflation is real. Supermarket guru Phil Lempert is live with us right after the break. Don't touch your dial. You just might learn something. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Grab a snack. Come on back. entertaining and delicious conversation abounds. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I am so proud to call this gentleman my friend for so many years, and I am always so grateful and delighted when he graces this show. Phil Lempert is the leading food industry analyst in the U.S., a very accomplished journalist, in fact, and the trend watcher we all follow and listen to. He shares the latest food and health news, new food product ratings, money-saving tips, food allergy info, and more to help get the most from every grocery shopping trip. And if there was ever a time to want to get more from the market, well, it is now. 
you know him for the over 20 years. He has served as the Food Trends editor for the Today Show. He's featured on Inside Edition and so much more informative TV. And we know you love his website and radio show, Supermarket Guru. I am delighted and thrilled that Phil Lempert is back. Hello, my friend. How are you? I am great, Chef Jamie. Good. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Uh, The stakes are higher than ever. The prices are higher than ever. And there is something, uh, as you mentioned on Inside Edition, going on called shrinkflation. Could you define that, please? Basically, what we're seeing is what I call a food crime. What we're seeing is major food companies deciding to put less in the package. Now, when you, when you change your package, your package design, by law, you have to put a word new, you know, on it. For six months, you can say that. Well, you know, there is no law that says when you take out X amount of ounces or eight Doritos per bag or 70 raisins from sun-made raisins that you've got to alert consumers. So it's really the consumer beware. And frankly, we're seeing this across the board. Now, in some cases, companies are doing it in order to not have to increase the price. Okay, that's one aspect of it. The other thing that we're seeing is companies doing shrinkflation, putting less product in the package, but also increasing the price. And if you take a look and listen in on any of these investment calls um, that take place quarterly, these major brands have record profits. Their CEOs are getting, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar bonuses. Uh, But you and I, every time we go to the supermarket, we've got to pay more. Okay, but this is infuriating to me because like you, I probably go to the supermarket more than the average Jane or Joe. In fact, I know I do. I happen to love the supermarket. But whatever happened to full disclosure, right? So the box says new on the cereal and it says mega family pack on the top. I assume there's no regulation for that either. But what's in the package is lesser than ever. The price is higher and those big brands are profiting. Where does that leave the consumer to believe anything they read? Well, we can't. Um, and, and this is a practice that really has, has gone through the roof during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing more problems. And what one of the things that I keep on hearing from consumers are when are prices going to go down? And they're not going to go down. Um, we've got to realize that we've got the cheapest food supply in the world. Uh, we've been very lucky. But these companies are not going to reduce prices. You know, the CEO of Coca-Cola uh, just about three weeks ago on his, uh, you know, investment call basically said that, you know, we, we're going to price our products properly uh, because the consumer loves our brand. Um, we also had the CEO of ConAgra say that, you know, whether they used to have Marie Callender and other dinners that were selling for two ninety nine, well, it was too cheap. So they raised the price to four fifty. And yeah, part of that is higher labor costs and part of it is higher packaging costs. But also all these companies are showing record profits. Yeah, part of that is profits. And what infuriates me, Phil, is that if you're a Diet Coke lover or your child loves sun made raisins or you have a favorite blank, 
you are propelled to buy it because it's your go-to, your standby, your safety, your Dorito addiction, whatever it is. So they know they're guaranteed the sales. It seems so crooked. Prices are not going down, as you said. How about on eggs? Are prices on eggs ever going to drop? Yes. Oh, so that's good eggs news. Are an exception. What <laughs> we've seen is really about 60 million uh, hens that had to be culled because of bird flu. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason that the price went up. Now, should it be at $7, you know, a dozen? No. no. Um, it's not going to go back to a buck ninety-nine, but it'll probably hover around $3. And one of the best buys... Uh, during this whole egg epidemic, if you would, <laughs> is go for the smaller brands, the more organic brands, the more free-range brands. They didn't go up nearly as much. And the reason is that if you have one hen that has bird flu, you've got to cull the entire flock. So these other smaller farms um, that have less chickens, they haven't had that problem. And most of those chickens were outside, and they never got bird flu. Right. Um, so that's the silver lining when it comes to eggs. But in the meantime, my concern is that we've got, you know, about 30 million people on food assistance programs. Mm-hmm. They go to the supermarket and they buy eggs because it's their primary source of protein. But guess what? They can't afford $7 a dozen of eggs. Of so my concern, again, is in three months or in six months or in a year, we're going to have 30 million people hmm. with protein deficiencies. Wow. It's amazing when you think about how the food chain works and how far this could take us. I mean, to to, to a negative place down the rabbit hole, right? I, I mean, you're talking about the effect on the consumer to a much deeper level that I assume the CEO of Coca-Cola with his $10 million bonus hasn't considered. Oh, I think that they've considered them, of course. You know, they get those nasty letters and nasty emails and phone calls all day long. Uh, but what they do, they have to worry about their shareholders mm-hmm. and their stockholders, right. of which the CEO is a major stockholder, by the way, of Coke. <laughs> um, so, you know, they've got to deliver on those promises and and those, you know, stockholder demands that what they've got. Mm -hmm. So I don't think any of these companies really go to sleep at night saying, oh, consumers don't want lower prices. I think that they're saying we've got to make sure that our company survives and thrives. And if we've got to raise prices, so be it. Mm. Supply and demand. What I've always loved about you is that you do see the silver lining, or at least you find it for us in wonderful ways. So, Phil, this is really important information. And so please stay with us because I'd like it to continue when we come back more with the supermarket guru, Phil Lempert, right after this.
Welcome back. We're dishing with Phil Lempert, supermarket guru, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Please share some of your best marketing tricks of the trade when it comes to grocery shopping. You've said it before, and it's something I'm always mindful. I learned it from you. Um, You say look high and low when you're in the grocery store, right? Yes. Um, What you want to do is understand that these companies have paid a fee to be at eye level. And typically, that's the best-selling product, Mm -hmm. could be the most expensive product. So if you look to the sides of it, usually on the right side of it, because we read, you know, uh, from right to left, um, what you see is you see the store brand, which is typically 20 to 30% less. Um, So you want to look for the store brands. You want to look for some of those other less expensive brands that might be on the bottom shelf. And also compare the ingredients and the nutritional information. And the reason for that is a lot of the major brands actually make the store brands. So if the nutritional information is exactly the same, if the ingredients are exactly the same, probably the same product, but you're just paying a lot less for it. Sure. You've always said that. I know you've been a longtime believer in store brands, and I've come to realize when you do, per your suggestion, compare the ingredient list, when you do look at the nutritional analysis, there is one factory making that and then branding or packaging it numerous ways, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what we've seen even before the pandemic is more consumers buying store brands. What we found in our parents' generation is they didn't like store brands. Mm. For them, it was like an embarrassment. You couldn't afford the real thing, Mm -hmm. so you went for the store brand. Not so with Generation X or Mm. Millennials um, or Generation Z. They look at the quality, which is why certain retailers like Aldi have done so well, because their store brands are either at the level of the national brands or above, um, I've been in their kitchens. I've talked to the people, you know, who who are testing these recipes, and you know, they adhere to a very high quality standard. So, as a result of that, Generation Z and Millennials flock to Aldi because they can save money and get great quality. Seems fascinating. You've always talked about the big brands because you have your finger on on the pulse of those companies. I wonder about the smaller ones. Like, I buy a lot of kids snacks, right? You know, toddler, toddler goodies, I call them. And those are often made, or at least the ones that I choose, Phil, are made by smaller companies, the organics, the Annie's, the, and I'm not endorsing any of them, but I'll tell you, I look for them, not over the store brand, but because I've learned to trust them, right? How are those companies faring? Is that, they in the same boat as the smaller egg farmers? Yes. Um, What we've seen, especially during the pandemic, a lot of these smaller operations where they make the product themselves versus having another company make it for them did really well uh, because, you know, they didn't have to rely on, you know, filling 18, you know, trailer loads uh, to go to Kroger or, or major retailers. They were able to satisfy their needs. Now, the problem is those smaller companies that had somebody else co-pack it for them, they ran into trouble because during the pandemic, a lot of these supermarkets said to their co-packers who make their store brands, okay, I'm your biggest customer. Make sure I get, you know, my order. And if you're fulfilling it to Chef Jamie and Phil's, you know, cookies, 
forget about them. Um, so a lot of those smaller brands during the pandemic, you know, really had difficult times. They're coming back now, but frankly, what we've seen are more companies deciding to make it themselves versus having somebody else make it for them because the same thing could happen tomorrow and they don't want to be in that situation. Of course. Gosh, it, it's so amazing to me how many people it touches, uh, Tell us, and I've heard you say it before, I wonder if it's still the same. The best time to shop at the grocery store. Best time to shop is Wednesday night. Still. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are the busiest days in the store. The store gets most of their deliveries on Monday and Tuesday to stock up or after the weekend rush. Um, so Wednesday, a lot less people go shopping to begin with, so you're not going to have to deal with, you know, other people's shopping carts hitting you, you know, in the back of your feet. Right. Um, and the store is going to be fully stocked. Interesting. And what do you expect next? I always love, and for as many years as I've known you, you're the trend reporter and the trend setter, but you are so ahead of the curve. Like something you've told me came true months or years later. And I remember thinking, I think Phil told me that. So I I trust you and your crystal ball implicitly. And I wonder if you can forecast for us what the remainder of the year holds and, and what tips and tricks we can do to combat it. Sure. Well, probably the major story um, with two major stories that we're going to see. One has to do with prices. And the reason that prices are not going to come down is there's three factors um, at foot here. Mm-hmm. Number one is climate change. If we take a look, you know, right now the California floods are destroying crops. Yeah. Um, we, we had a coffee disaster in Brazil. Globally, we've got some major climate issues that are affecting the foods that we grow. So that's driving up prices, as well as the war in Russia and Ukraine. Russia happens to be the largest exporter of manure. So what's happened is our U.S. farmers who used to buy manure from Russia haven't been able to, so they've had to get it elsewhere at a higher price. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, you know, sunflower and safflower oil from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So we've got those issues that are really creating problems. Second is labor. We don't have enough truck drivers. We're down about 120,000 long-haul truck drivers. That's increased the price of, of transportation, as well as you know, everybody points to the price of fuel. That's one factor. But if we don't have truck drivers to bring you know, produce from California to Chicago, um, guess what? You know, the price is going to go up. Right. And then third is the actual labor cost of the people who are working in the meat processing plants, the poultry plants, mm-hmm. on the fields and the farms and so on. Mm-hmm. That price is going up. So that's why I say the prices, you know, are not going to recede at all. We're going to continue to see that grow. Now, the, the second issue that we really have to face, um, which is a very serious issue that, that supermarkets are, you know, tearing their hair out, has to do with theft and it has to do with security. There's a lot of supermarket people um, that during the pandemic left their jobs. Um, They feared for their own life uh, because, you know, they'd have to say to somebody, put on your mask and somebody would like throw a tomato at them and so on. So, you know, supermarket operators are very concerned about 
you know, security. So that's why we're seeing, frankly, in some chains, armed guards in all the stores. You know, the, really? the security. Yeah, the security guards used to be a retired, you know, uh, cop or fireman who mm-hmm. would just be there, and you know, for show. Well, now a lot of them are armed, um, and they're not for show, especially since what we saw happened in Buffalo. Um, they're very concerned right. um, about it. So those are probably the two biggest issues that are facing the supermarket industry right now. And how to combat those. I, I mean, I keep up with and watch the Lempert Report every Monday, just FYI. Oh, thank you. And I, I think when we educate ourselves, when we're in the know, we are far more adept at trying to ebb and flow with the rise and fall and curves and otherwise. And I would think you agree. We need to stay up on the news, which means we need more of you. But what else can we do? Well, you know, we, we've got to be smart. Forty percent of all of our food in the, in the country is wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is in our homes. Hmm. So, you know, go to the store with a shopping list. Okay. Stick to that shopping list. Take Good. inventory before you go to the store. What's in your refrigerator, in your freezer, in your cupboards? Don't overbuy. And make sure you use up everything that you can. Right. That's probably the best thing you can do to save money these days yes. is using up all the food that you buy sure. versus wasting it. Thank you, Phil. I'm very proud to call you my friend, and I thank you for continuing to uh, enable us all to be better and smarter and to eat better and live better. Cause you know, that's what I'm all about. And, um, and we are grateful for your knowledge. So thank you. Thank you. Chef thank, you thank you. And back at you, you know, <laughs> thank keep you. up the great work of everything that you're doing and, and have been doing oh. because you help us out as well. Oh, thank you. It's a delicious life. No doubt. Phil Lembert was the Food Trends editor for NBC's Today Show for more than 20 years. You'll find him on Inside Edition and every other informative television show that has any good taste. So please watch for him. His uh, podcasts and his live Lempert report, I love. So please go to supermarketguru.com, supermarketguru.com to be in the know. He is Phil Lempert, and you heard him here. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Grab a snack. Come on back. There's lots more to chew on right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, satiating your appetite. This next conversation is for food fanatics. Whether you are gluten-free or allergy-prone or looking to boost your protein or fiber or otherwise, this is a new find of mine. And I think I'll start a new segment called New Finds. I like it uh, because I found this brilliant brand and I really wanted to share it. The statistics alone will make you rethink how you eat your pancakes because they did for me. Globally, 42 million children under the age of five are overweight or obese. One in five American kids is obese. 32 million Americans have food allergies. 
So what to eat, right? There are lots of up and coming brilliant companies that bring better food to market. And so I'm choosing to highlight one of them. It's called Good Flower Company. And so Matthew Clayton, Good Flower's CEO, joins us live, and I'm delighted. It's a pleasure to meet you, Matthew. Chef Jamie, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you kindly. Thank you. Okay, so I made pancakes and waffles because I had a request for both. And when your toddler requests, I mean, by golly, you rise to the occasion. They were so delicious. I cannot wait to make battered fish and so much more. Tell us, please, because I love to highlight a grassroots business. Tell us the story of Good Flower Company. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's music to my ears when I hear pancakes <laughs> and waffles and Hi. kids and, and so enjoyment and, and healthy eating. That's really our mission and what we're all about. Well, as you said, Jamie, we are a grassroots business. Uh, we started 10 years ago with Chef Jen Peters and Chef Hamid Silamian in their kitchen and Jen found out, very unfortunately, that she was celiac. Mm. And as a French-trained pastry chef mm. and chef herself in and out of kitchens her whole life, she was very scared about what her future looked like with food. And Jen set out to make her first gluten-free all-purpose flour because everything that she had tried and used on the market was not working the way she wanted to. So that's really the DNA of where it all started. And from there, it grew into pizza and pasta mixes, batters for fish and and dredges for chicken. Mm -hmm. And as you said, pancakes, waffles, and cake mixes. And that's really how the full gluten-free line has developed, uh, including our baked items like pizza shells and buns. Now, here's the thing. I'm not gluten-free. I I believe in Meatless Mondays. I know I feel better when I eat lighter. And you know, Matthew, I eat for a living. If we know each other only a little, you know that. But the beauty of it to me when I made pancakes and waffles from the good flour mix was the protein boost and the fiber. That just that propelled me and it propels you and the company. You're very protein and fiber focused. And I wish you'd talk about that. Absolutely. Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're all looking at where we're going to get our proteins from and I'm not gluten-free either. So here I am. (laughs) Running um, a gluten-free, allergen-free, additive-free company. Absolutely. So think (laughs) of the irony of that, but I'll tell you what's really interesting. And we'll talk about protein, fiber, and you know, why we built these products the way we have and, and what they're delivering to the end user. You know, what's really interesting is if you look where gluten-free came from in the last 20 years, companies were simply removing the wheat protein and then calling it gluten-free. You had these products that were basically empty without any real nutritional benefits or impact, hmm. but you could say it's gluten-free. And really what's happened now with not just our company, but anyone who's really building better-for-you products in this space is you can't just take out the wheat protein and call it gluten-free. You need to put all the goodness back in. So that's what we've done by using the core ingredients of our products that are really carefully sourced, where we're getting high-fiber, near-zero-sugar 
and looking at the protein composition in these products as well. Yeah, I will tell you, I felt really good about feeding it to my family and I loved every bite. So kudos to you. You are leading the way in a category of the food world that has yet to be mastered and you've mastered it. And we look forward to continuing to watch you grow and to seeing other companies follow suit and do the same copious amounts of research and have the same dedication, kudos to your chef, to make their own lives better and therefore do good and do good work for the rest of us as well. It's called Good Flower Company. And they just came out with, that's the new children's protein pancake and waffle mix, patty cakes, right? How's it doing, Matthew? Fantastic. We really just got this off the ground and we have an adult version of our protein pancake coming as well, which is going to be really interesting. So I'll make sure we get some of that out for everyone in the office to try as well, Jamie. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, It's really good stuff. I mean, you got to taste it. It's the Good Flower Company, Good Flower, F-L-O-U-R, dot C-O to learn more. It's just really delicious. The CEO, Matthew Clayton, um, and the two chefs at the helm who um, making big waves in the food world. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. And I hope that you'll tune in every weekend so that I can feed your soul. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. Don't touch that dial yet. This is my last bite because I am a huge fan of chewy, nutty, fruit-filled energy bars. They're my perfect afternoon snack. But if you've looked at the ingredients in your favorite bar, you might have realized that you can actually make them yourself for much less cost and even more flavor. You need dried fruit that you fancy and tasty nuts, preferably toasted, and you need to include either dried dates or dried apricots because they're the sticky binder that holds it all together. And then you can play around with all the other ingredients like chia seeds or coconut and all the good stuff. It's a simple food processor recipe that comes together in about a minute And it's so simple to make my energy bars that you might never buy them again. So I am posting my energy bars at home recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram right now at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope that you'll steal the recipe and take all the credit. And next weekend, I will meet you here for another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I thank you for listening. Please visit chefjamie.com where I am always serving up seconds. And once again, become a friend and a fan on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. Until then, I hope you continue to eat well. Chef Jamie Gwen signing off.